Uh, we're looking again at the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and I will read, read the chapter. <clears throat> and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and he shall be, they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, a chalcedony, the fourth, an emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, sardius, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, a topaz, the tenth, a creosopris, the eleventh, jacinth, jacinth, the twelfth, an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. 
and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, this is the end time. The, the final judgment has passed. Uh, the beast has been uh, disposed of. The devil and his, his angels, the demons, have been thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, what we call the reprobate, the, you know, the unrepentant sinners, those who aren't saved by Christ, the scoffers of, uh, against Christ and all, they're all thrown into the lake of fire where they'll be conscious forever, but in eternal torment. Horrible thing to think about, but that's what it is. Uh, and uh, that, all that has happened. And Christ has returned, and the, uh, those who have died as believers in Christ have been resurrected and given new bodies, physical bodies, much like we have today, and yet not quite like we have today, because Christ, we know, when he was resurrected, has a physical body. He ate. Uh, he, he said, examine me, I have flesh and bones, uh, but he also could pass through walls and, and be different places that, uh, and people didn't know how he came in or left, so there was, uh, there's a spiritual body. But it's, it, we, we are given resurrection bodies at the last day, and those who did not uh, believe in Christ, rejected Christ, when they, their names were not written in the book of life, they are also given resurrection bodies. Uh, they come out of the graves. Uh, but they're given bodies because they are to be tormented in the lake of fire. Um, and then what happens is they're thrown in the lake of fire, and we as God's people, uh, both those who died in Christ and those who are alive on the, the earth when Christ returns, uh, uh, they are also given resurrection bodies. And then this holy city comes down from heaven, and that will be where we live forever and ever with the Lord. Now, there's a lot of symbolism here, obviously. You know, people say, well, is it literally going to be this big city that's going to plop down out of the sky and we're going to live in it? Uh, well, let's take a look at some of those, those questions. Um, the Holy Jerusalem, it's called the Holy City, is both, is two things, really. The church, by the church, I don't mean a church building, I mean the church as the body of Christ, all the believers in Christ. It is both the church... Uh, and it's also a place where they're going to live. We're going to live after the final judgment. Uh, it's called Jerusalem. In Hebrew, Jerusalem means the place of peace. Um, Hezekiah Holland, an old, uh, and I, you know, as you know, read these old guys, uh, old books uh, written by old guys. Uh, Hezekiah Holland writes in the 1600s, uh, on this verse, quote, Indeed, the church in glory is both the Lamb's wife and the city of God, um, a bridge because of her marriage and, uh, I mean, excuse me, a, a bride, not a bridge, a bride because of her marriage and ornaments, a city because of her most magnificent building, comely order, invincible strength to last forever. Her maker and founder was God. Uh, if you remember Hebrews 11, uh, talks about Abraham saying, Abraham looked for a city with hats, foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Even Abraham looked, looked ahead for that. Now, I will say there are some today who teach that the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven before the final judgment. Um, that's what is known as a premillennial view. Uh, 
frankly, that cannot be. And right here in, in Revelation 21, we see in verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain. That's described as what's going to happen, what's the, the state of things in the New Jerusalem, where we're going to live. Well, the last time we, when I looked, we had death and sorrow and pain. So the New Jerusalem doesn't come down until, and, that, and that's wiped away. So we're not living in that time now, and it doesn't, doesn't come down before the final judgment. That's a reversal of the order uh, of Scripture, as I hope we, we've seen as we've gone through the, through the book. And there are some who teach, related to this, that the prophecy of the Bible, predictive prophecy of the Bible, uh, focuses on the earthly city called Jerusalem in the earthly nation of Israel today. Now, those who believe that proudly defends their interpretation. They say, well, I take God at his word. Uh, it says Jerusalem. The Bible is literally true, uh, and therefore I believe it literally. Well, you can take God at his word. You can believe the Bible to be literally true, but not believe that God meant every word to be taken literally. In fact, nobody believes every word in the Bible should be taken literally. Let me give you some examples. Jesus said in Matthew 23:37 about Jerusalem, Often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Uh, in Psalm 91, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Well, if we take that literally, then God is some kind of a giant bird, right? <laughs> his feathers and wings. No, so nobody takes every single word of the Bible literally. Uh, Jesus, you remember, says uh, uh, in, in John 10, twice he says, I'm a door. I'm a door. I'm the door uh, that you enter into. Well... We know he's not a wooden, he's not a door like that. No, it's symbols. Uh, every reference in the book of Revelation is to the spiritual New Jerusalem. Did you know that? Every reference, not the city in the Middle East. Now, there are references to the city in the Middle East in the rest of the Bible, surely, in the history and what happened in Jerusalem and all that. But in the book of Revelation, it's not talking about that. It's talking about the spiritual New Jerusalem. The fact the Jerusalem that we know of as the city historically in the Bible is not called Jerusalem uh, in the New Testament. Uh, it's equated with uh, old, the pagan Old Testament Israel, uh, and it's, it's Babylon. Uh, so that they, it's, it's, whenever it's referred to, it's referred to in, a, in the pagan sense as the enemy of God. Um, but study that for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Uh, for, for another thing, the New Jerusalem, as I, as I mentioned about furlongs, and we'll talk about this in a minute, it's described, and if, if you calculate, just I went on the internet and looked up what a furlong was and, and multiplied it out uh, what it, the description, uh, that makes the New Jerusalem 2,250,000 miles square and 1,500 miles high. Now, there are 7,951 square miles in present-day Israel. And the New Jerusalem is 2,250,000 square miles. So that makes the New Jerusalem 283 times bigger than the entire country of Israel. So how can we be saying that this, this giant city falls down in the middle of Israel, of present-day Israel? Uh, 
let me say something else about this because, and I, I, why do I bring this up? Because there's so much error on this. Um, people who people read the read the the uh, book of Revelation particularly, but they're not familiar with Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah, uh, where so much of Revelation comes from. Uh, it's it's a it's an expansion, a commentary, a fulfillment of much of the Old Testament. And people read this stuff and they say, oh well, it's it's going to be rockets, and then there's going to be the Russians and all this. Uh, you end up in all sorts of error. Uh, some people want, some Christians want to rebuild, literally rebuild a temple in modern day Jerusalem and start animal sacrifices again because they believe that that's the only way Christ will return is we have animal sacrifices again. Uh, another example of how dangerous this thinking can be is a very famous preacher here in San Antonio, and, and there are others around the country, but he's one of the primary ones who teach it, teach what is known as the dual covenant. The idea that we should not preach the gospel to the Jews because they have their own covenant, their own deal with God, and they don't need Christ. Uh, and that comes from thinking, in many other ways, but it comes from thinking that the Jerusalem of Revelation is the city in present-day Israel that we read about in the newspaper. Uh, in Galatians 4, uh, 22-31, the Lord compares the Jerusalem which now is, and that's a quote, that is the city in the Middle East, to the reprobate bondwoman Hagar and her son Ishmael. Uh, verse 30 says, Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. The free woman being God's, representing God's people. Uh, shall not be heir. And he contrasts in Galatians the earthly Jerusalem with spiritual Jerusalem, he says, the, quote, the Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. So the earthly Jerusalem today has nothing to do with the new Jerusalem of the Bible. But we do have these precious promises that we've read in other places. Someday we will live forever with our Lord in the holy city where there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Just joy and peace. But first, we have to live through some very bad times uh, on earth. Uh, there's the, as we've looked at, going through the book of Revelation, the rise of world civil government, the rise of a one world religion, um, the destruction of this world religion by the world civil government, uh, followed by uh, a thousand year reign of God's people on this present earth where the gospel will flourish, won't be perfect, but the, it'll be a much more Christianized society. Uh, that's, uh, that's one view of the book of Revelation, which I tend to favor. There are other views, and doesn't make you doesn't make you an unbeliever to look at other views, consider other views, or believe other views. Uh, but if you're interested in hearing more about why I think that's the case, and what that's, that's what the book of Revelation teaches, I'd refer you to the sermons in this series, which are available on the internet at, at uh, sermonaudio.com. Okay, well, let's dig into some of these verses in, in chapter 21. Uh, we're up to verse 10 now. Uh, or, well, verse 9, rather. Uh, and there came unto... Let's see. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of those seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that 
great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear and crystal. And it goes on and talks about the wall that we just read in the gates. So the wall, great and high, you know, the old ancient cities all had these big walls to protect them from invaders. Uh, most of the best commentators say the 12 gates and the 12 foundations mean the gospel of the 12 apostles. even says it's named after the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles uh, by which heaven is opened unto us, uh, the gates. Uh, the gates are to have 12 gar angels or guards. Now, angels in the uh, Bible means messengers of God. Uh, and, in fact, in the early part of the book of Revelation, chapters 1 through 3, the angels of the seven churches were the pastors of those churches. They were referred to as the angels of the church or the messengers of God. We, don't, we think of angels as being these spiritual beings in heaven. That's not always how the Bible uses it. Sometimes that's, that is, but other times it refers to prophets of God or ministers. Um, so the gates are named after the uh, 12 tribes 12, and the foundations after the 12 apostles shows that all who enter the city do so by means of the word of God as taught by the apostles. That's one interpretation of this. Some of this is hard to understand. It's very symbolic language. This is a, a <clears throat> our best guess as to what it probably means. Um, the 12 tribes multiplied by the 12 apostles is 12 times 12 is 144. Uh, 144 multiplied by 1,000, which is the symbol of a biblical symbol, a biblical number of a great multitude, uh, makes the whole number of God's people in Revelation 14, 1, the 144,000. You may have heard Jehovah's Witnesses talk about there be 144,000 people saved. That's where they get this. Uh, but it is not a literal number. Uh, it's going to be far more than 144,000 people saved. They don't say that much anymore once the Jehovah's Witnesses reached a membership of 144,000 that changed that. So they don't, they don't stress that teaching anymore. Uh, but no, it's, it's 12 times 12. 12, 12 tribes in the Old Testament, 12 apostles, is 144 times the uh, biblical number of a great multitude, which is 1,000. Like, for example, uh, uh, um, the cattle on a in Psalm 50, it says, the cattle on a 1,000 hills belong to the Lord. Well, is that a literal number? That means the cattle on the 1,000th and one hill, that doesn't belong to the Lord? No, it's, it means a great multitude. Verse 13, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. In Ezekiel 48, a city was described, which was the church in the New Testament, where the people were gathered from the east, the west, the north, and the south. Simply means the four corners of the world. The east, west, north, and south. Four corners of the world. Four points on the compass. Now, of course, Christ is the only gate, the only way to heaven, the door, but we come to Christ by the ministry of the 12 apostles, uh, by the gospel that he taught them. Thus the city is said to have 12 gates. Uh, very similar to Luke 13 and Matthew 8, where Christ said, They shall come from the east and the west uh, and from the north and from the south and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about what's going to happen for us in the, in the, in the New Jerusalem. By the way, that's a, another reason why we should study the scriptures to study the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and, and all these people, know who they were. Uh, in, in, so, because someday we're going to, Lord willing, we, it, possible in the New Jerusalem, we can meet them. It wouldn't be embarrassing to, you know, somebody says, well, that's, you know, that's Isaac. 
you say, oh, oh yeah, I've heard of him. I don't know. What, what did he do? You know, wouldn't it be so much better to sit down with him and talk you know, and know who he was and what a great man of God? Plus, it's a great spiritual blessing as well. Okay. Verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 12 foundations. If you would turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. This kind of echoes Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Boy, that sounds like the New Jerusalem right there, doesn't it? Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. It's talking about both the, the New Jerusalem, we're talking about the church on earth, that we are, as, as members of the body of Christ, you know, some of us, it says elsewhere in Scripture, some of us are a hand or an eye or a foot or a finger or uh, whatever it might be, but we're all fit together as a body of Christ, and none of us are, are less than another. But we all, you know, does the, does the right hand tell the left hand, well, you know, I don't need any of you. No, we all fit together. We all have a purpose in, in, the, in Christ. Uh, so this is uh, the same thing here. We're all built together, but it's also a picture of the new Jerusalem. Verse 15 in Revelation 21, And he that talked with me had a golden reed or golden rod to measure the city. That's how they used uh, in, in ancient times measurement. They had a rod, kind of like we have a, a yardstick today. Uh, they had a golden a rod, a golden reed. In fact, there's a measurement called a rod in, in uh, you know, I think about surveying, they express, and, uh, and on, on survey plats, they talk about a number of rods for a measurement that goes way back to ancient times. He that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof 144 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. Uh, measure of a man uh, is referring to a cubit. A cubit, by the way, was, is a measurement from here to the top of this tall finger. That's how the ancients measured, and they called it a cubit of the forearm. So that's the measure of a man. Um, the measuring rod and prophecy, as we saw earlier in Revelation, when John measured the temple with a rod, that symbolizes God's word as the measuring, uh, the measuring standard. Uh, measuring rod and prophecy symbolizes God's word as the sole measuring authority in faith, worship, and practice. We, we measure, we judge our faith, how we worship, how we live by God's word. This is the measuring rod. So each side of the city is 1,500 miles long, and so is the height. 444 cubits is 216 feet. Interesting, by the way, is the number 144 comes up again in Scripture. Uh, now, that's uh, uh, 
is the city literally that big? I don't know. Uh, I don't think anybody really knows. Some commentators say yes. Some commentators say, oh, well, couldn't be possibly that way. Well, I, I never say couldn't be when it comes to the Bible. But uh, we don't know. Uh, it may simply be a symbol to signify the incompre incomprehensible nature and glory of, of what heaven will be like. I, I don't know. It may be a literal city. I can't wait to find out. Uh, verse 18. The building of the wall was of jasper, and the city was of pure gold like unto clear glass, and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. And then I won't read them all. Uh, some of these stones are not familiar to us. Particularly, I, I looked them all up, and uh, they all are, are precious stones. Uh, some of them we don't we have different names for them today. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, verse 21. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. That's where we get pearly gates, by the way. You know, heard go, the pearly gates comes right out of here. Almost every commentator I've studied on this has a different interpretation of this passage. The, the meaning of every precious stone and, and the pearls differs depending on the commentary. Some goes in great detail, try to give each stone a deep spiritual meaning. Some say each stone relates to a particular apostle. And it says, well, you know, Peter is this way, and this stone has these characteristics, so this means Peter and, and all that. Um, they are... They, there, there's, there is another place in the Bible that talks about 12 gems. They're on the breastplate of Aaron uh, in, in uh, Exodus 28, and they represented the 12 tribes. I favor James Durham's position on this. He published his commentary in 1799. My, my guess, I, I don't read authors that were born after the 20th century. but Not entirely true, but almost. Um, he said, quote, we conceive it not edifying to speak of the nature and properties of these stones. We take the scope to aim together to set out the glory of the elect in heaven, not as if one thing were understood by this stone and another by that, but altogether show that it is most glorious and rich, as if made up of the most costly and rare stones, and that in the greatest abundance. So suffice to say the gold and the most precious stones certainly represent purity, they represent permanence. Uh, gold can go through a fire and come out better than it was. Uh, diamonds and emeralds and things go through a fire and, you know, like a little chart and just clean them off. Uh, as Matthew Poole puts it, this passage symbolizes, <clears throat> excuse me, beauty, preciousness, incorruptibility. The likeness to pure glass symbolizes freedom from the dark clouds and specks of error. It denotes a church in which all is transparent with no secrets because all is truth with no envelopings of hypocrisy. So whatever you want to call the, the uh, precious stones and the, and, the, and the pearls and all, whether they're literal or they have some symbolic meaning specifically or they're just denoting purity and, and permanence and holiness, like we're, we're, we're certainly safe safe in that. Uh, there's a lot more I'm going to, to, f to finish there. I, wanna, I just want to say, Lord willing, we'll get into the rest of the verses uh, next week. Um, rather than longing for 
Jesus to return and set up his earthly kingdom in an earthly Jerusalem. We as Abraham should long for that city described here which hath foundations, whose builder and maker of God. And meantime, let's thank him for that wonderful foretaste of that city which we enjoy here and now in the Christian church, in the body of Christ. I don't just mean this assembly, but the whole church throughout the world of true believers. And, and thank him for that foretaste of the city in our Christian work, in all of our fields, no matter what we do, whether we go to school, whether we're, we're, whether we're working inside the home or outside the home, whether we're bedridden and we have, a, uh, we have a ministry of prayer and encouragement, whatever that might be, let us, Scripture says, let's eat and drink and do all to the glory of God, no matter what we do. We do to the glory of God, that knowing that our labors for the Lord are not in vain, that our works follow us in glory. Then we can enjoy it not only today, but tomorrow on this, both tomorrow on this present earth and forever in the hereafter too. I'll close with Second Peter. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Let's pray. Indeed, Father, we, we do pray for thy coming, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. We know that uh, if we believe thy words in the scriptures, there's no debate, even though some may interpret some things one way and others things another way, nobody denies that the Lord Jesus will return, uh, and he will return uh, in the blink of an eye at a time perhaps when we least expect it. So we must always be on our guard and, and uh, watchful. And uh, are we, will he return when we're reading something we shouldn't be reading or watching a TV show or a movie that we really shouldn't be watching, and we know that? Or will he return when we're among some of our friends and acquaintances that we really know in our heart, you know, we shouldn't be hanging around with these people? Whatever it may be, Father, put in our minds that we, we should, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God, and that uh, uh, God forbid that uh, we be found in, uh, in uh, any situations that we... Uh, Lord, we should not be in, but rather uh, let us devote our lives to, uh, to serving Thee, 